Here comes Inglis. Inglis is sprinting inside the 30. Inglis is burning. Is Inglis making a break? He's got extreme pace. Forget about it. Forget about it. He's too fast. He's too quick. He's too talented. Is Inglis one of the superstars of the game? He bumps to the way. When you really needed him, when there was something on the line, he'd always produce. You know, my mind's strong, but it's not that strong, so I don't know if I would have been sitting here today. Today's the official announcement of my retirement, uh, effective immediately. Um... The man that most people consider to be the best in the game, Greg Inglis. Welcome back to another episode of We Are Human. I am your host, Sam Friday, and our guest. It is a huge honour to be interviewing a good mate of mine in Greg Inglis. Now, I'll give you a bit of a rundown, GI. You probably know all these stats. Greg played for the Melbourne Storm from 2005 to 2010, played for South Sydney Rabbitohs from 2011 to 2019, 250-plus games there. Then he uh, he played for Queensland 32 times, played for Australia 39 times, and the Indigenous All-Stars, widely regarded as one of the best players ever, which is amazing. And uh, the game's 100-plus years, seen as one of the best players to ever play. Three premierships, world's best player in 2009. Greg, that's your stats, mate. How does that make you feel? <laughs> it's honourable, that's for sure, but growing up as a little kid and then... All I wanted to do was enjoy my football, and I love football. And you know, as I got older, it's just you know, it was a passion of mine. It was never a hobby; it was a passion. And you know, I got got offered to go over to NFL at my early years. Got offered to go to the AFL at the end of 2010. But you know, it's always been drawn back to rugby league. And I always keep asking myself now: it's like, why me? You know, I get invited to all these things and. I get nervous myself about going to these functions. Um, I know it sounds stupid. <laughs> You're sitting there smiling at it and saying, you know, I'm just being silly, but, you know, that's just who I am as a person. And, you know, when you end of the day, I was just a kid growing up that loved rugby league and, you know, I got, I got to fulfil my dream. You've still got a career. You're about to go over to the UK. You know, I'm not going back just to prove anything to anyone. You know, having two years off after playing for so long, it's actually healed the body really well. People out there will will not know this, but I've playing, been playing against you know older men since I was 15 years old. Yeah, you know I was 15 on playing junior leagues on a Saturday, then backing up playing 18s on a Sunday. So at the age of 15, so by the age of 16, I was playing Queensland Cup and you know reserve grade as well. Now um, we'll go back to uh, you know your younger days as a kid growing up. Rugby league was a, a huge passion for you. You played for is it uh, Barrowville Tigers? Yeah, I played for Barrowville. You had a great uh, junior career. Uh, you moved to Brisbane after the Storm signed you as a young kid. How was that move for you as, as, a, as a young, still a boy to be honest, 16, 15, 16, moving to Brisbane, moving away from home? What was that move for you like? It was exciting but scary. The first time I actually really was, you know, really scared about how I was going to go about moving away from home was, you know, when I turned around to... My parents and asked if I could move to Newcastle at the at the end of age of fifteen. So, at this time, I was already signed by Melbourne at the age of fourteen. Yeah. And you know, kids <laughs> whinge about being signed for 
you know, $60,000 a year um, while they work. I was at school, we signed for $500 a contract. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's... Um, that's, not it's even just... enough, that's not even enough lunch money for the year. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you get you through the first term? But uh, <laughs> the old brown plastic bags with your, yep, one, one meat pie with a couple of frogs and <laughs> here's a change in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, that was a scary point. I was down and living in a hostel. It wasn't a scary point. It was just an eye-opener. Moving down Newcastle at the, at the end of age of 15, getting the pre-season, playing 16s comp down there for West Newcastle. And, you know, got a little bit of strife, not going to school. Wasn't really going to training and just started going out to parties and that late at night when, you know, we were supposed to be living in a hostel and underneath these um, bedtime rules. It was like, all right, lights out at, you know, 10 o'clock, yeah. et cetera. So... Yeah, Melbourne ended up ringing up. They actually rang my grandparents and, you know, <laughs> always respected my grandparents and what they said to me and, and asked me to do. So they're the ones that actually rang me and asked me to go back home for a couple of months before I moved to Brizzy. Yeah. And I said, yep, okay, I'm on the next train. So I was out there that night. <laughs> so Hanging with the wrong crowds as a young fella, very impressionable young man as we all are as kids. But you move up to Brisbane eventually, you, you go to essentially one of the biggest rugby league sporting schools in, in all of uh, Brisbane, to be honest, Wavell State High. It was pretty much tough love. So yeah. we go to training, play for Wavell. Like you said, it was a, it's a big rugby league school. They pride themselves in rugby league. and Wavell beat us in 2002, actually, <laughs> and they ended up going on to win national championships. So yeah. uh, I do remember how good Wavell were. Yeah, it was, it was a great school, but also, you know, we always had to learn educational-wise as well. And how was education for you then at that point? Was it was it key? Was it important to you? At that time, I you know, I really wanted to get stuck into the books. But then it's kind of hard when all you're focusing on is what dream you want and that's to play, you know, in the NRL someday. So, you know, going back in there, I'm, I'm glad I've got my year 10 certificate. I didn't finish year 12. You know, I passed year, year 11, which I'm quite happy with. But, you know, I'm back at... And studying that trading assessment course, which is TAE through um, through TAFE New South Wales down here. So this year is giving the opportunity to go back to TAFE and study a little bit further education. The whole time you're in high school, in your senior year of high school, you're you're playing Queensland Cup for the North Devils. Going cold all day, Greg English. He's playing left centre now, but he does well on the bounce up there to Nathan Friend. Up to English, he serves it up to uh, the number five in Shortland. Back on the inside, the pass was. Uh, actually passed into one of the winning boys but I tell you what this fella knows his way to the try line you catch the eye of anyone and everyone out there people are starting to have discussions about you and putting that little bit of pressure on you're starting to feel this at a younger age or this kind of doesn't happen until you're a little bit older you know I me mean, but I'll just sit back I'll just cruise I'll relax and then even that training it's just cruisy but I don't know, I just had this confidence in my own ability yeah. and I had this confidence in what I can do. You know, if I walk on the field and people say about a 9 out of 10, I might give myself a score, you know, a 6 because I know what I'm capable of doing. Yeah. Walking off as well, I just, you know, first people I ring are, you know, my family to yeah. see what they thought of. Now, your career is 0 to 100 real quick. Being thrown in straight away and straight into that there side and being in a successful side for pretty much that dominant year that I was down there from 05 to 10, you know, I had a taste of success really early. Yep. 
to me at that time, that's when the offers in that came through about going overseas, staying here. And so I just stayed, decided to stay in rugby league and put my hand up to prove myself at different clubs around different people. You know, that's what I did. Talk about the salary cap scandal or whatever you want to call it. That must have taken a huge toll on yourself. A talented young kid who, you know, the Melbourne Storm probably wanted to keep around for a long period of time. But, you know, I can remember back watching some of the footage on the news. Rugby league and all Australian sport has been rocked tonight by the dramatic decision of the NRL to strip the Melbourne Storm of two of its premiership titles. The brutal punishment is over the club's brazen rorting of the salary cap, which has left league bosses shocked. The secret files outlining the under-the-table deals were kept in a separate room at the Storm's headquarters, well away from the players' legitimate contracts. These payments have allowed them to recruit and retain some of the best players in the game. How was that, seeing yourself and you know reading all these things, are you somewhat protected in Melbourne or you still kind of, that spotlight is still on you? The only way you can go about it is like, just be up front with it. Yeah. You know, none of us players knew about it. You know, yes, <laughs> I've been in garage door, there's a photographer out there taking a photo. I should have turned around and gave him a thumbs up <laughs> or something, you know. So I just, you know, but Craig Bellamy didn't even know. Yeah. So, you know, with the whole Melbourne stuff, it's still going to be a big burden on all those players and who was there at that time through those years. And it's massive. It will always be around. Um, the footy talks, etc. It will be in the history books. But it did have its toll. But again, I don't think it had its toll on me. I think it took a toll on my family, to be honest. And that's the most hurtful, I guess, most hurtful um, thing to hear and to see. Yeah, because it's, it's funny that a lot of people out there wouldn't even know or realise that. It's two totally separate departments. So, you know, you have your upstairs admin that look after all that stuff and you've got, you know, under that banner, you've got uh, someone who controls the salary cap, you've got someone who controls contracts, you've got someone who controls third-party uh, deals and those types of things. And the players and everyone else have no idea what's going on. And people think that we know what's, you know, what Johnny's on, what he's getting paid, what he's getting paid. We don't because we pay each other enough respect to not ask because at the yeah. end of the day, we just want that guy to do a job out there on the field for us. So, yeah. Well, I'm not going to walk in the um, in the uh, Melbourne Storm locker and ask David Kidwell, what, what, what's he on? Or Robbie Coons, what, what's he on? You know? Yeah. So you're not going to go in there and ask your teammates what he's on. You know, that's private. That's your own business. So the offers come in uh, fairly thick and fast after the whole salary cap scandal players have to move on to make sure that uh, Melbourne Storm can fit into that salary cap the following year I want to ask you this and I don't know if a lot of people will remember this or or knew what was going on behind closed doors but you almost became a Brisbane Bronco didn't you yeah yeah GG Andrew G got me over there was a verbal agreement yeah. um, just up there living up there at the time and look it just had, didn't happen to be it was you know, I'm not going to come out and say why or, you know, what what happened, but getting ready to pull up the training for reasons I'll, I won't say and I don't think I'll ever come out and say it, but it was just um, just one of those things where, you know, me and the other end will, will only know. It's a story that uh, maybe one day we'll hear, but uh, you made a good decision anyway. went to South Sydney, signed a deal with them. What was the, the move to South Sydney like for yourself? Well, look, it was a hard transition at the time. It was down here by myself. Um, 
for six months and then just finding my feet in your club. Before that there, I had no club to go to. Injury, injury plague, you know, I had my hip surgery, had my knee operated on at the same time and in the same off-season had another shoulder um, clean-out. So in terms of that there, I just didn't be active enough about it. You know, any junior league or, you know, rugby league fans out there that's listening to this or any anyone that's at sports, um, just get stuck into your rehab as much as you can because, you know, I didn't do that. Uh, I had no one around me to motivate me. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where I was just had to work my butt off to get back to, you know, good condition and good shape to complete a full pre-season or even get through a season without injury. Yeah. Now you moved to Sydney, which is a massive move compared to Melbourne. You know, Melbourne, you're kind of uh, hidden under that AFL banner down there. It's the number one sport and the Melbourne Storm are successful. But what was the spotlight like when you when you moved to Sydney? On my first day of training, it was media everywhere. Yeah. All of my, you know, you, you put a 65-inch TV um, on the... That's how big my head was. So, you know, all my cheeks and yeah. that's how hard I had to work. You know, like, like I said, I wasn't in good shape when I got there. And looking back on it now, I'm sitting there just shaking my head and saying, what the is going on? So from what was I thinking? But, yeah, the spotlight's continuously on you around Sydney. Yeah. Um, it helped actually be in a Melbourne Storm system to actually know how to, you know, walk about or carry yourself around, you know, and who you're representing. You're not only representing your family, but you're representing the club as well. South Sydney have finally got their man. Greg Inglis given the go-ahead by the NRL to join the Rabbitohs in 2011. The NRL say GI can be a bunny. Obviously, we uh, we disagree with the original decision, but, um, you know, in... in the important thing was trying to keep Greg in rugby league and uh, the decision today has kept him in rugby league, which I think is fantastic for the future of the game. With Sydney, it's just constant, you know, people in your face. You know, I was living in Eastern Suburbs, living in Coogee, sitting down over brekkie and, you know, people just want to... Which you don't mind. You sit there and you say hello, you talk, and then yeah. sometimes you just want to stay home and just enjoy your own coffee in your own place yeah. and not be disturbed. You had so much success early at a young age in a great system at the Melbourne Storm was it even sweeter getting there with South Sydney uh, a team that hadn't been in that position for 43 years and then you get to be a part of what is now uh, rugby league history Michael Maguire had this thing about him about getting his players up but he also had this great I don't know mindset of getting the old boys coming in and talking about you know this them days and but not only just them talking about them days, but what they had actually had to do to play rugby league, like work three, four times a week, five days a week, then go training three days and then play and then the next day waking up sore and then... Going to work again. So it was, yeah. yeah, and then back to work again. Some were brickies and then, so, you know, imagine going playing rugby league for, you know, if you full back or outside back, you're playing for 80 minutes and then you go and lay in bricks the next day for, for 12 hours. Yeah. So it was great to know the history and I think that's important. Yeah. You know, Russell comes in every now and then and talks about, you know, the history. Um, Russell Crowe just actually loves rugby league and South Sydney. Now with the owner here, Russell Crowe. Russell, you've done some pretty special things in your life. Academy Awards, how's this compare? Well, I would say, Andrew, it's a pretty good night. Really? It's a pretty Great good satisfaction. Night. It's deep, deep satisfaction, but this is a team sport, you know. There's been a lot of people involved over the nine years and a lot of effort gone in. And uh, it's a grand reward for everybody who uh, stepped up to the plate and decided that we weren't going to put up with South Sydney being a losing club anymore.
so passionate about it. You have some awesome success at South Sydney, but you have some pretty pretty low lows, don't you? A few big injuries. Again, that fishbowl that is Sydney and everyone looking at you, poking fingers at you, writing stories about you constantly. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's lows about it. Everything that comes with it. There's another thing when I talk about, you know, in my Goiter Academy, there's two slides up there. One's talking about, you know, arcs and what do they see, what do they see me as in the, you know, in the spotlight and, you know, just on social media, what they read. They just say, yep, yeah, rich, famous, this, that. Got a nice car. Yep. Yeah, and then a thousand friends, whatever, then I'll go to the next page. And it's actually a photo of me walking off the field with my ACL injury. Um, and then it's on the next slide, it's got me saying, well, this is the reality of it, you know. It's about six friends. I keep going back to my slide and say, say this is what you saw, but this is what I saw. Yeah. And I just let it, let it sink in there for, for a couple of seconds and I'll go back to it again and said, see the difference with you know what the public and the persona of what people see of rugby league or athletes themselves. At the end of the day, this is how I felt while I was going through these tough times. Or this is how I am today when you strip all that fame and fortune back, I'm standing here before you as a, you know, as a human being, as one of you guys. There's been plenty of those, you know, you know, the DUIs, the, you know, the injury compact, there's, you know, other mishaps that I've had along the way. I was very lucky and fortunate for many years to play representative football with you, played in uh, many Queensland teams, uh, many Australian teams with you and had some great victories and some great tours away. I never ever noticed any of this stuff while you were playing rep footy with me. Were these things going on in the background while you were you know, in a Queensland camp or in an Australian camp or on an Australian tour? Because some of those tours can be really long, especially the ones over in the UK. Yeah, I think we was over there that last um, World Cup. I think we were there for 10 weeks. That was a big trip. And throughout my career, I, I don't know, I found rugby league, my training as an escape. Yeah. You know, just going into rehab, you know, the second time, that's one thing they, that they taught and talked about is, you know, the best thing to do is if you don't feel like doing it, get up and do something at least. Yeah. So, you know, I was finishing my garden yesterday. <laughs> I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Yeah. Um, it was hot. It was about 32 down here, and the sun was beaming in the afternoons. But um, but yeah, that's just one example. And you know, I've been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and bipolar two disorder and a mood disorder. So, um, you know, we used to joke about it in the gym because I just come in and like, oh yeah, sleepy, tired, yeah. or you know, upbeat, ready to go, energetic, ready to jump in. When I was in rehab, I had this really good psychologist um, called Professor Gordon Puckers, and he really helped me get the proper diagnosis and the right tablet for it. You know, when I was in also in the second rehab clinic, it was pretty much isolation, and you was in that little dome by you know with a couple other, I don't know about thirty, forty other people, so it was quite unique and quite tiny and very intimate. You know, with the groups that you're in, you're telling and all that stuff. But you're in there for three weeks with no contact with the outside world. Within that three weeks, you're allowed to visit a visitor, um, you know, only once on a specific date. So when I came out of that, it was like I was still institutionalised. It was 
you know, I remember getting picked up and get going across the Sydney Harbour Bridge and I was freaked out. I started hyperventilating. I started sweating up. So, you know, a week out, I was, I was like, well, maybe I need to go back in. Maybe I don't. I don't know. You know, rang up the professor straight away and goes, you see how you go in a month? Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I think it, it's always been around there. Yeah. It's always been there, but it's just... You don't know unless you actually get the right diagnosis and treatment for it. Yeah. And it's hard for some people because they don't have the resources for it. And, you know, all we can do is just offer, you know, these numbers and that and just, you know, well, that's all my academy can do. Yeah. So rugby league was a, was a bit of a safe place for you. You felt at home. You felt comfortable in that environment. But when did drinking probably take over that other you know, part of your life where, you know, that, that numb the pain or, you know, quieting things down for you? When did you think that became a problem for you? Oh, look, I think it all came to a head when I'd done my ACL. Um, I always said I don't mind my wines early in the week. You know, just it's my routine. I know my routine week in, week out through rugby league and it's just one of those things that, you know, after a game, you had a good game or you feel like you had a good game and, you know, you will then give yourself a little reward and... It's the end of your work um, week, so, you know, like... It's the end of my week, yeah. yeah it's the end of my week. Um, but I think it became a problem when I had no routine. Yeah. Where I had nothing, you know, just sitting on the couch on prescription medication and also drinking. It's not a... You know, it's not a great mix at all. And, you know, if I would have kept going down on that path, you know, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know what could have happened, but it's, you know, it definitely wasn't a good way of going. And, you know, that's why um, the first time I put my hand up and I was seeked help, which was in, you know, the Yazak gang down, down in Canberra. Rather than standing down, Greg Inglis preferred to leave his fate in the hands of the NRL. I'm very sorry. I have full support from the, from the club here at South Sydney and, um, yeah, we'll just um, we'll we'll work through the CM, work through the process, and and uh, obviously with the NRL as well. But only a few hours later, Inglis's Kangaroos captaincy was, for now at least, over before it began. Yeah. So, I think it started from there was the you know the beauty of alcohol and you know beauty of prescription drugs now, which I reduced my alcohol um, quite fairly. I. You know, when I see my friends in that back home, we drink in moderation, we drink out, you know, out in the country. When I'm talking country, I'm talking about mountains, you know, bushland and yeah. no phone reception unless you're next, close to the house. But, you know, we jump in our four-wheel drives, go camping next to a big creek and, you know, just really chill. Yeah. And so that also cleans them, cleans that and being indigenous and going back to my home country. Um and getting that reconnection with my land again, it's actually helped me. Drinking for recreation instead of numbing pain. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I've, I never said I'll, I'm going to stop drinking. I said, I've, you know, I've reduced it quite fairly and I've only take one tablet a day to stabilise my mood and that's before I go to bed. Yeah, it, it's crazy that whole time playing a lot of footy with you and you never see the signs and I, and I suppose... It's something that we don't talk about, and I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this a lot more now. Um, with your diagnosis of bipolar 2, has that given you a bit more peace of mind? You actually, and I don't want to be rude in saying this, but you know what's wrong with you now? 
No, no, that's not thing to red better. You know, it, it is what it is. It's what I've got to live with. It's a disease yeah. that, you know, because it is a disease. It's not going to go away. It won't go away for the rest of my life. It's something that stayed and staying there and it'll be with me and, you know, until the day I die. Um, but it's something that I've got, a, like you said, I've got a better understanding of it. I've got a better understanding of what's going on with myself. And having the right people around around me, you know, helps a lot as well because they got a better understanding of it. Yeah. And it also helps me talking about it and sharing my story about what I'm doing here today is talking about what's going on and what's happening. And once I've got my diagnosis, I've got the right help. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't take my tablets for four days. And <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. it was wacky. It was up and down. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't good to be around. And then... Someone asked me, he said, oh, did you take your tablets? And I said, oh, shit. No, actually, I've been taking it for you know, four or five days. Yeah. And then once I started them again, well, then again, it just stabilized everything. So, My understanding of bipolar 2 is that um, you ride the highs really high, you ride the lows really low as well, but you're also more susceptible to suicidal thoughts being undiagnosed for such a long period of time. Do you ever have, you know, suicidal thoughts through throughout that period of undiagnosis? You know, there was dark days. Yeah. There was dark days where I asked myself, I said, I want, you know, sit back and I wonder if anyone will miss me. You know, those were the questions. It wasn't any like, I'm actually going to go and, you know, do something about it. It was actually just sitting there just thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if anyone will even notice that I'm born. You know, it's, it was one of those things, you know, that I asked myself in those dark, dark days, dark periods, and no one would know because I wouldn't talk about it. But, you know, when you ride the highs, well, then, you know, you're getting everybody around you really upbeat, trying to get you on your level, and then just flick of a switch. The next day, you could be, all right, what happened that day compared to, to today? Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know. You've got no idea. I've heard you mention before, you know, you've really hurt a lot of people uh, and especially people that are close to you. You know, the ACL injury, your marriage has fallen apart. How were you through that period? It was whether it could have been saved or whether it couldn't have been, but, you know, Sally and I, we, I think we just looked at each other and just said, look, this is probably the best way we can deal with it. And, you know, it's... Um, like you, like you said, I've heard a lot of people along the way, yeah. you know, just through not getting the right treatment, the right diagnosis for for myself. But Sally and I, we we get along really well now, yeah. um, a lot better than than we was probably towards the end of our marriage. And you know, I'm actually going to see the kids pick up the kids on Sunday, so you know, I get to spend about ten days with them and then have them over New Year's as well. So yeah, before I head overseas, so. Look, I've hurt my current partner, Elise, and her family. Like, I hurt Sally and her family that I've known for quite a while. Yeah. Hurt my family and hurt a lot of close friends, you know, close to me. And, you know, all of those that were very close to me came out and said, well, why didn't you tell us about it? Yeah. It's like, well, I was embarrassed. And I didn't want you to think there was something wrong with me. And, but, yeah, I remember going to sessions, I don't know, about six times before I even opened my mouth about talking about anything, about any issues or anything like that. You know, it's the environment that we are in. You know, we're supposed to be these gladiators, these tough men, but uh, a lot of the time we're not 
taught how to speak about our feelings and speak about what's going on in our mind. But mate, I, I want to move on now to what you're doing now with your life. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You've got a new concept at the moment called the Goanna Academy. Yeah, so the Goanna Academy is um, something that I've been working on for, you know, uh, 10 months prior to the first launch, which was the um, last school holidays that just went. Uh, Remy First Clinic, which really because of COVID, we had to break it down to 200 kids. That was allowed. To me, I was nervous. I didn't think it would actually take off. But once we launched it on, on site, the website crashed in, in 40 minutes and... No, the spots got filled up within 32 hours or 34 hours or 200 kids like that. So I took a step back and, you know, it was emotional for me to see actually kids that wanted to come see me and enjoy a day. The Goanna ties into my heritage, my culture. Look at any young kid, particularly an Indigenous kid, they look at GI and their eyes light up. My main goal was, you know, yes, I love for those kids just learn different things and have fun. Just sit there, have fun, you know, because I remember back when I was growing up, all we had, I don't know if you remember, it was the Coca-Cola McDonald's shirt that ran at clinics, you know. Yeah. And that's a little little white shirts and white football that you got. You know, there's plenty of ways to give back to the community, but, you know, I want to give back to pretty much all of Australia and hopefully I can reach out to to further um, countries as well through through this. It's so we have that in the morning from you know all the way from sevens up to sixteens or seventeens, and then around lunchtime, I'll take the thirteen-year-olds to seventeen-year-olds and go have a chat to them about my story, pretty much what I based on before, yeah. talking about you know how how I dealt with grief and how I felt all the way through everything throughout my career and. You know, the main point I was getting across is, you know, my diagnosis and, you know, what I've felt and how important it is to actually talk to someone about it. You know, it may not be a family member. Um, it could be your closest friend. It could be just a total stranger that you guys just meet yeah. um, randomly, but he's got an instant connection. So starting a conversation and breaking down the cycle of mental illness. Yeah. Then we have a break for about two hours, maybe three hours, and then come back later in that night for the adults for the parents, for the adults. And, you know, we sit there and we talk. I'll, I'll allow more time for them because I know they'll be more open and more asking questions. So, yeah. um, is that but, interesting, but interesting thing is when I had a chat with the 13 to 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, they did not ask one question about football at all. So to me, that just shows that they were sitting there listening and really focusing on what they can do to help themselves. But with the adults, it's more in the depth of... Um, what to look out for, signs. Yeah, but also, with, you know, with what I've seen and what I've been through. Yeah. Where the juniors are more on just just underneath the surface and the adults are just pretty much really, like, really deep stuff. You know, the stuff that's happened in my early childhood and that's happened up to now. So my... My family was in the room. My grand, my grandmother was in the room, and she didn't know what, what I was thinking through this time. That's how much I kept the closed book on it all. So, and she, she's known me my whole life, and you know, I tell her everything. But you know, again, it just goes to show that you know, you know, my grandmother, like I said, never knew half that stuff what was going through my head because yeah. we didn't speak about it. 
And then at the end of it, I'll get a little post-it note, a little post-it card. I'll just get the kids to write what's one thing they want to change, what's one thing they would like to see change, and or what's one goal they want to set out for. And strictly confidential. We don't read it. Like none of us read it. All we read is um, just the address, the names, put in the in an envelope and post it off back to them and, you know, just see if, so they can actually go back and look at it and say, oh, well, I actually haven't done this, so I better get up and do it. So it gives them another drive, another motivation to actually do something. GI, if you don't mind, what did you tell your grandma that she, she had no idea about? Oh, just pretty much like going to Newcastle, getting the fights, drinking, you know, early age, you know, um, getting on... One, I think one thing that really hurt my grandmother was, you know, having alcohol and prescription drugs to a really deep level. And, you know, that's, um, I think that's one thing that really hurt, hurt my grandmother. And, but, you know, I've got great friends from back home too that I still hang out with. They're the ones that I just spoke about earlier. And, you know, going back home and talking about it for the first time, I was very emotional because none of them's heard that side of the story or, you know, seen me that vulnerable before. And I think that's the best way is actually allow yourself to be vulnerable about it and just walk on with it in so you can process it in your own way and then talk about it, you know, in your own language. What's harder, running out in the field playing for Queensland or standing in front of essentially your friends, your family, your peers and telling these stories? Oh, it was the second one, yeah. you know. It was the second one by far. Sharing my story. It's very emotional, um, you know, running out for Queensland, running out, you know, 125 kilo men or whatever, you know, that's nothing. That's what we were born to do. Well, you know, that's what I was born to do, that's what I was trained to do, and that's what I just loved doing. Yeah. But getting up and talking to people, really detailed depth, you know, especially the adults, you know, that's, um, that's, that's quite, it's quite difficult. Quite difficult, but um, fully rewarding. Now you, I wouldn't say run away, but you've kind of moved back home. You've moved back out of the country. How's country living uh, treating you? Yeah, well, so once COVID hit, but we ended up started moving out here uh, last year. We're living in Western Sydney now, so you know it is still kind of big country, but it's getting built up. <laughs> still getting it's getting built up at the moment, but it's so good just having that little bit of space. Yeah. You know, being a young Indigenous boy that grew up in the country with, you know, you got 10 minutes and you're in the mountains with fresh water flowing creek that's clear to 10 minutes the other way um, to the east coast and you're on the surfing beaches, you know, around Scott's Head yeah. and, you know, Crescent Head, Hat Head, you know, Southwest Rocks. So. I want to talk to you about horses, mate. You've been um, doing a bit of work with horses. How beneficial you think animals are or, or even horses have been for you know your, your kind of recovery going forward oh yeah if you you ever been around a horse yeah i love them absolutely <laughs> it's weird yeah, what they can do to you right and when i first got involved with horses it was um yeah i wouldn't go anywhere near the fence you know i'll feed him with a carrot you know with the end of the rod here's a carrot one, don't touch my hand and whatnot yeah. and then but then I went and sat standing and stood in the paddock for like 10 minutes and just sat there and just watched them just calm me down. It's like a meditation. It was like something just came over and you just sit there and you just watch them. And, you know, reading up on it and having a chat with my professor about it, he goes, you know, horses are very calming and they feed off your energy. Yeah. So you're calm, then they stay calm. But my horse wasn't particularly calm about a month ago. 
he bucked me or fell off him. So <laughs> fell right on my hip. So that that hurt. <laughs> that hurt a bit. <laughs> Do Wa- not tell Warrington about that. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't worry. It's already out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's already out and about. But yeah. a lot of American correctional centers and Australian correctional centers and just Australian, the ex, you know, army guys, the vets. They've got a program up and running now um, for New South Wales um, equine therapy, where they actually go and they send the you know the vets down there. They send you know, the inmates to these farms that you know just to help them try to rehabilitate you know their minds. And it's crazy what they can do to you. It's crazy how calming they can be around you. Mate, twenty twenty has been a fantastic year for you in the sense of you know healing, um, in the sense of uh, growing and developing. But twenty twenty one, it's another big year for you. You're off to the UK very soon to play for the Warrington Wolves. How are you feeling about that? Oh look, I'm feeling you know pretty good with it. I'm just getting back in the daily routine, like I touched on before, being retired and not having a daily routine. And you know my routine was. You know, do a little bit here, do a little bit there, where now I've actually got a, you know, day-to-day schedule throughout the week. You know, mid-days, it's, you know, it's not actual structure like, like we do. Yeah, um, like it used to so be. Seven, it's like 7 o'clock here where this one's just like a uh, you know, morning, wake up, have this, uh, do your stretches, blah, 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 might do. Um, one thing that's interesting is they want to do the bongo. So, um that's gonna be. I haven't ran that far <laughs> in, in quite a long time, and yeah. But yeah, we played there in winter, and it's horrible. It's miserable. I know. But you know, I'm gonna play it over there. It's going from winter footy here to summertime footy over there. So yeah, it's an opportunity that came up. That you know, I just don't think I could have refused. It's not about the money because I'm, you know, I could have stayed here and got picked up at a club for you know more money than what I am getting over there, but I'm going over there just, you know, for our new adventure, get to play opportunity and get to see different things. And um, hopefully in the meantime, which I'm sure um, is traveling between, in between games during, you know, during the year. I actually used to love watching you play over in the UK. You used to play some cracking footy over there. So hopefully you can uh, do that all again, mate. You're going back though to play footy, for Greg Inglis, and that's that's the only person you're out there to be playing for, is it? That's right, isn't it? That's what I come out and said, you know. Um, I said to Warrington, I'm not going over there on holiday. You know, I'm over there to, to do a job, and that's to play the best footy I can, and play the best footy I can for the club as well. And like I said, I'm not out there to prove anyone, to prove anything to anyone. Um, it's an opportunity that I'll, that I'll get to go over there and play football, and it's also, no, just an opportunity just to go back out there and play for me. People always keep forgetting that I did medically retired. Yeah. You know, that wasn't the case. When you medically retired, you get a payout figure. I didn't get any of that. So yeah. 2020 has been a healing process for me personally and hopefully for others around me as well. And going over there to play 40, it's, you know, this time it's, you know, going back and doing what I love doing. Do you think it was more of a... A mental pain than a physical pain. Yeah, your body was sore, and you know you went through a lot of a lot of uh, surgeries and those things. But do you think it was just more mental strain? You just needed that break. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was both. Um, you know, people like you, you would know that was close to me that played with me or you know, played against me. It's like, well, yeah, I could be a clown. I could fool around. I could not could, could not train like most of the week. But 
come game day, once you once I crossed that line, like that was you know, that was it. There's no I'm either in or I'm out. And, you know, for me to commit, that's it. I'm I'm putting my body on the line, I'm I'm just doing what, what I can. Because I just love the game, and that's just the way I've been taught how to play the game. GI, um, you had a very, very successful career. Uh, played 118 games for the Melbourne Storm, 147 for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Won three premierships, the best player in the world in 2009. 32 games for Queensland, 39 for Australia, four for the Indigenous All-Stars. One of the best players in the world, but GI... Mate, what you're doing at the moment is probably the biggest thing you'll ever do in your career, and that's talking about what you went through, the hidden secrets that uh, you know sporting elite like to keep underneath their skin and never let anyone know. So hopefully, GI by uh, yourself, myself, and many others out there that are sharing their stories. Hopefully, we can have more and more sporting elite come out and share their stories and let everyone out there know that we are human. That's our eventual goal and goal is get more people to talk about it. Um, absolutely love what you're doing with the Goanna uh, Academy. I wish you all the best with that, mate. I wish you all the best over there for the Warrington Wolves. I think I signed for the Warrington Wolves one night too. We were out drinking with the, uh, the owner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Simon. Yeah. Simon Moran. Yeah, I think that was after a Jesse J concert once. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's a Jesse J that I missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cooper Cronk, myself, Jonathan Thurston. Oh, and Billy Slater was there too, and we all verbally agreed that we'd play for Warrington Wolves. So hopefully, he doesn't uh, follow up um, on that. That that cruise would have been at um, Dixie Chicks for sure. No, no, I think it was Jesse J. <laughs> <laughs> Look after yourselves. All right, we'll do, brother. Peace. Love you, brother. You too. The man that most people consider to be the best in the game, Greg Inglis.